Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Bitcoin podcast and uh, we're on episode 276 that is a lot as 276 weekly episodes for you guys how many weeks have we missed I think we've only missed two to three weeks in 276 episodes that's I like that that's a good statistic um, well we're back at you I'm the host that talks first D and we have and I'm I'm the host that never talks. I'm <laughs> Wayne, aka Yes to Crypto on the Slack. Yeah, we have a, a guest host today. Um, Corey's on a nature walk uh, because I challenged his gingerness and he said, I do have a soul. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you're talking about, but I do have a soul. I'm going to go explore it this weekend on a nature hike up in the mountains of Appalachia. And as soon as he told me Appalachia, all I heard was that and I was like, oh, oh see, shit. First thing I heard man. was app. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you better be careful on those Appalachian hills. They're going to get you. Um, those hills. I don't have think eyes. he'll have a problem. He looks like a cross between a lumberjack and an MMA fighter. I don't think he's going to run into any issues. You think he'll fit right in? Well, I'm not saying he'll fit in. I'm saying he's not going to get any issues. Oh, you're saying he'll fit right in. It's okay, Wayne. You don't have to, like, you can... <laughs> I've never been. I, I don't know. If he gives him a, ooh-wee, he'll fit right. Like, they won't even know. They'll be like, oh, you're one of us. All right. Well, maybe maybe he knows the slang about yeah. slobbering pigs or whatever. Grab yourself a cup of that moonshine and uh, sit on down here. Grab a banjo. I'm sorry if you're from Appalachia and that's not how it works. But I know it is. Um, <laughs> Wayne, welcome to... Uh, the, is this your first attempt at a guest hosting? Yeah, I don't think I've ever been introduced as a guest. I've been on the roundtable a few times. Yeah, you've been on the roundtable a lot. But as a guest host, like just hosting. Nope, you know, the world's that's the first time. Um... So we got a good. It's show your oyster. I'm oh. just sitting in it. It's your yeah. oyster. I just sit in it. Mm-hmm. Your pearl. Yeah. Wait. Uh. So we got a good show today. We had on Alex Ballsworth. Uh, he came on to tell us about Lightning Loop and the Lightning Network and where it's going and where it is. And um, if, for those of you that have just tuned in to Bitcoin, let alone this podcast. But just Bitcoin in and of itself, 
Lightning Network is what you would call a scaling solution, a, a layer two scaling solution. Layer one is Bitcoin. Layer two is the Lightning Network. And it was theorized because Bitcoin has trouble scaling. Bitcoin can only use seven transactions per second, which Max. means that max yeah. yeah well it's near 10 now right because of segwit well yeah we've got we definitely have had some efficiencies gained yeah but you know it kind of depends on you know the more transactions have more uh you know summarizations in them you know you might get fewer and you know if, if people submit transactions with higher fees but that are huge that mm -hmm. might take up more space so it kind of depends yeah, it becomes a hassle, right? So, like, let's let's break down why it's a hassle. Um, what? How many people in the states? Seven hundred million, or is it three hundred? I know in the United States, yes, yeah. it's three fifty to four hundred. Three fifty to four hundred. So let's call it a let's call it a sweet three seventy five million, because there's about twenty five million you don't participate in the census. What's wrong with you? Um, but let's call it three seven five just to be safe. Bitcoin fixes that. Yes, because if you notice, um, orange coin good. Um, so 375 <laughs> milli, and let's say 375 million of them do five transactions a day, which is likely, right? Got a morning breakfast and breakfast, noon and evening transaction, maybe a snack <laughs> transaction, and a gym transaction. Let's just say that's a normal day. So what's five times 375? Let's do that. Let's do that real quick. Five times three seventy-five. Well, that's one point eight seven five billion transactions in a in a day. It's right. a lot. Eighty-six thousand four hundred seconds in a day. So divide 000. by eighty-six four hundred. Divide that by wait one eight seven five. Divided by how much? Eighty-six four hundred. All right, that's 21,701, 702 times that the seconds in the day go into uh, 1.875 billion, right? Which is half the Visa network max capacity, right? Yep. So a little more than half. What we have is a scaling problem because Visa's at max if everybody decided to do that many transactions uh, Bitcoin ain't doing it at 10 transactions per second Visa's doing about 20,000 transactions per second maybe more so and it's it probably like the power grid you know so like the power grid power. scales differently right so mm -hmm. you know in big cities you have lots of distribution centers and you know places where you can store the electricity and the places you have to distribute the electricity and the electricity needs of big cities and even certain buildings in big cities are going to be completely different than out in the country. Transactions are going to be the same way. If you're at a mall and you, you're a, you're a merchant and, or you're even in a, in a city instead of out in the country and then person to person, that's going to be different. I mean, you were talking about the average is five. I don't know what the average is, but I mean, there's some days I don't have any transactions. I'm at home or whatever. I might have 10 recurring transactions a month based on you know hulu and netflix and the power company and internet bill or whatever 
but um, you know, some people are going to have more transactions than others. So I, I'm not sure how well we can estimate your average. However, if you're going for the five, that would it seems reasonable that that's a good max. So you know, start with that. So you've gone backwards to a twenty-something thousand transactions a second. If there's no bursts, right? You know, assuming equal distribution mm-hmm. and trying to fit that into seven transactions per second. Obviously, yes, there's a scaling problem. But I would say before you or we identify that there is a scaling problem, maybe we define why is there a scaling problem? Why is there a scaling problem? I don't think I've visited this enough in the last two years to think. Well, I think it's because of the trade-offs that we choose. Um, 10 minute confirmation times the the fees is that the consensus mechanism that we've chosen yeah proof Um, of work and it's it's the standard it's called the trilemma right you know you the the one that's most easily understood is good fast cheap pick two Mm -hmm. and if it you know if you want something to be good it's not going to be fast or cheap and if you want something to be fast it's not going to be good or cheap and the thing is, is it's not something that you can turn the dial up or turn the knob up on all three of those things. You have to uh, sacrifice one for the other two. And the more you sacrifice one, the stronger you get in the other two. So the because it, it falls down to if everything is important, nothing is important. So for Bitcoin, they're leaning towards the security Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and security goes into a lot of ways, right? You can't roll back. You can't do double uh, spends. Uh, you're aligning incentives and you're doing certain things. And one of the things you're sacrificing is speed. You know, so you cannot increase speed without sacrificing some of the other tenants that go into what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin. So even on the Lightning Network, you can achieve millions of transactions a second, depending on how you scale. But you are giving up on those transactions, the full security of the Bitcoin network, you, you have to. Because now it's just a it, it is a signed transaction, you have a transaction between you and your neighbor uh, through that payment channel. But there's no one else validating that that you mm-hmm. you give that up, because you you are sacrificing one thing for another. Yeah, it's and, only the initial transaction that's validated. Everything that happens in well, between. No, it's, and it's the summed. It's it's the sum yeah. up. You also get the sum up transactions of, of the whole thing when it's done, too, when the channel's closed out. So it's the sandwich transaction, we should call right. it. Right. So you have a starter and you have an ending transaction. Mm-hmm. The ending transaction is signed by both parties. And then that's what gets... Uh, resolved on the on the blockchain. So, so on chain you have two transactions, which, just like a lot of things, scale has to do with doing something many 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 times over and over again. If you just do a Lightning Network transaction with one other person and then you close it, you're actually doing more work, and you're not scaling at all. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the point of it. I kind of look at it as a secure prepaid debit card. So if I want to go to Cabela's or Lowe's or something like that, I can make a little agreement with them saying, hey, look, I'm going to buy your debit card and that's my payment channel with you. 
And we don't have to deal with Visa or American Express or someone like that. We don't have to deal with cash. I have this debit card with you. And at any time, if I don't want the debit card anymore, I'll give it back to you and you give me back my money, right? And there's mm-hmm. flaws with that because now I'm trusting Lowe's or trusting Cabela's. Um, but it's kind of the same thing. Now, a transactions between me and that vendor, just use that debit card or that little gift card. So I see the Lightning Network is a lot of that, but obviously much more efficient and because it scales. Yeah. The only problem I see with the Lightning Network is that we've now introduced more difficulty into using cryptocurrency than we had before and to me that means i i keep i mean i've said this time and time again i think the last year i think that like we're either by continuing to learn about this technology at depth we're either continuing our like self-fulfilled destiny of becoming the middlemen or the other entities that have the money and the power and the time to learn this technology and then deploy it in such a way to be the ultimate middlemen. But middlemen are not what we've removed. It's just what we've reintroduced in a new way with a technology that is theoretically better. Uh, And I would still couch that with, I mean, add for now, to everything you just said. I mean, when email came out, only geeks could use email. I was on Elm or Pine, it was all command line. There was there, there were no email clients really. You were interacting directly with SMTP, with your mailbox, and it was not something that was good for adoption. And But email itself was something that ran over a network protocol and it didn't matter what network protocol it was. I mean, that, that's the whole beauty of using a layered model. And Lightning Network does that for Bitcoin. And I think what what we have to keep reminding ourselves is Lightning is hard now, but the idea is that you know it's going to get easier. It's going to be built in. It's going to just happen. Just like you turn on your light switch, most people don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Most yeah. people... You don't have to do a lot to just flip the light switch on, but there's a lot that went into that. It was hundreds or a hundred years of work and innovation by lots of different people to make it safe, to make it convenient, to make it last long, so on and so forth. Same thing with lightning. Yeah, you're very right there. I use that exact same analogy in just the headers this past week as well. Oh, um, because it is a good analogy, right? And I was telling, I was telling broke who actually is an electrical engineer, and actually knows at least 10% of what goes on when you hit the light switch. Isn't that crazy that he studied and has a degree in and had a career in, and he still is like, yeah, I still don't know a lot of what happens when you hit the light switch. I know like 10% of it. <laughs> it's, it's well, and that's a sign of a true, a, a true, I was going to say master, that's not quite the right word, but someone who really understands their place, so to speak, because it's like the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. And even someone who studied it, if if they recognize that there's so much here going on that I can't fully describe or understand, then you know that they're yeah well qualified for they're, they're for understanding the rest. Yeah, yeah. He, I think well, it's more. Than that. He also started going into like the physics and the chemistry of what's going on with the electricity, and I was like, Brooke, I don't think anyone ever wants to know that. Like they just they just want their chandelier to be bright. That's all. 
You're right. The end user doesn't doesn't need to know, and that's that's what that's what Bitcoin has is still going through. Bitcoin is still too hard for the vast majority of people. Oh yeah, it. I but mean, then there's also this other majority though. The, there's the silent majority of crypto that looks on in admiration, and then there's the loud majority of crypto enthusiasts that aren't not not, not enthusiasts. There's the silent there's a silent majority of people that aren't in crypto that looks on with admiration but sees it as too daunting to even begin to learn. And then there's the loud other pie of people that don't have crypto that want to get into it, that just want to make some money. They want to make right. some cheddar. I think it comes down to your motivations. Uh, yeah. My motivations changed, but I think when you talk about loud uh, loud people or you know mm-hmm. any any vocal group inside of a industry or whatever i think it it behooves everyone who also has a vested interest in the industry to examine their own motivations and to examine the motivations of those who are loudest for example i've long felt that lightning while a very solid reasonable and likely to be adopted technology for scaling i think a lot of the people who are for it are for it because it'll it'll make their their own bags of Bitcoin more valuable, not only for adoption because you can't scale something if there's fifty dollar fees, but mainly for the staking capabilities. You can't use Lightning unless you stake a little money, and the more nodes that come up, the more Bitcoin gets locked up. So you got twenty one million Bitcoin, you got four to six million that are lost, you've got a million that are Satoshi's. You've got a couple hundred thousand that are the Gemini twins and grayscale. And then you've got what's left. So the more lightning that gets adopted, the more Bitcoin gets locked up like a staking service. And which means not much left. Supply goes down, which means price goes up. Orange coin go up. So I think it's this it's in the self-interest of a lot of Bitcoin people who want things like lightning solely for the it makes them more money or it makes it it makes it it solidifies their early adoption of a really cool technology mm-hmm. and then that just becomes you know for example me my selfish need for my 0.01 bitcoin to be worth way more money you know yeah. what i'm saying you know coinbase has been staking right with different different uh tokens that you can stake with like i have coinbase i have seen does some crazy shit like they they get won. a lot of guff yeah. from you and not i mean you're not a, a detractor you i know that you like that's the first thing you tell people hey you want to get into bitcoin go open yourself a coinbase account get you some get an address get a wallet yeah and then go from there i know you do that but there's a lot of people who just give them guff and they shouldn't man they 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 have well, they should always be held accountable for stuff, right? You know, like their SegWit actions and and whether or not they're batching transactions. You know, if they're if they're not being a good citizen, we need to call them out. I mean, they're not golden, mm-hmm. they're not gods, but but a lot of times they're not given the due of all the things that they've tried and failed, and all the things that they've tried that succeeded. And there's just no better front end user interface for the the new person. There's not, not that I've seen. There's really not. Nothing competes. 
and now they're staking, right? What are so they staking? Uh, hold on, let me see if I can grab the article. I read it. Is this would have been a couple months ago? I read this article. Coinbase staking. Well, I saw that. Uh, I mean, they they have also learned from their lesson, like the whole Bitcoin Cash issue, where they they launched it. It started trading, then they had the price discrepancies, and there was allegations of, of misuse there. So since then, they've learned, and now if they're going to launch three or four coins, they announce, hey, we might launch these 20. And so, it, you know, they, they learned. I think they, they've got a good finger on the pulse of the community's needs. So they've added governance support for MakerDAO, and they've added staking, offline staking, provi- providing offline staking for Tezos. Okay, so well that would make really... sense because a big, uh, a big uh, attractor to Tezos, right? Is a lot of people can can stick money over there. Mm-hmm. Crypto native passive income from offline assets. That's the beautiful thing about what proof of stake allows you to do, um, um, and what they're building with the DeFi movement in Ethereum is that they've programmatically introduce the ability to get compound interest just by staking your ether in the form of an ERC20 token called DAI, I believe. And I shouldn't say ether in the form of DAI because that's kind of a misnomer, but nobody's going to give a shit that's listening to this. Or maybe they might. I don't know. If you're pissed off, why don't you join the Slack and do something about it? I bet you won't. But anyways, you... I dare you. Yeah, I dare you to join the Slack and talk to me. Uh, well, I think staking, uh, you know, we've talked about institutional adoption. You know, the industry has saying either they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, or they're here, or they're the ones who put the price down to 3000 so they can accumulate for tax purposes, all these different things. But I, I, think, I think we can all agree that one of the major early uh, uh, factors of Bitcoin's adoption was price speculation, right? Trace Mayer calls it one of the, the the network effects. But speculation, somebody wanting to get into Bitcoin to make more money, we, we've pretty much got all those people who are proactive. They, you know, they've either created an exchange account or they created wallets or they mined or we've got a lot of those people. We don't have everybody because, you know, we don't have full uh, um, awareness everywhere in the whole world. but. But we have a lot of those people already. The next group of people we need in order to make Bitcoin more adopted are those people who are more investors. You know, they've got five grand or 50 grand or 500 grand, you know, as part of their portfolio. And they, they want to put it somewhere that will grow. Yes, they also don't want to lose money. But they understand that in order to be financially independent, you have to have an average of seven streams of income. So they're not going to put any significant money into an instrument that doesn't have some sort of residual income and staking gives you that mm. so we and have to solve staking but well, well that's a different that's a idealistic portion of what bitcoin and cryptocurrency gives right because then you have the the governance and the fairness and you know everyone in their self-interest so there's that aspect which is going to get a whole new group of people right people mm-hmm. on like republican based and democrat based because they're going to be people who are saying i want accountability well yeah. 
cryptocurrency and the governance systems can do that. Other people might say, I want universal basic income. Well, you can do that with cryptocurrency. So on it, it attracts so many people from so different walks, so many different walks of life. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it really helps with that. And this is where the staking comes in because then you get that whole new group of investors. Yeah, it, it's, I, it's, it's, it's very interesting what's going on with crypto that no one even sees it's, it's just going on like right behind the curtain or maybe even underground and like decentralized finance is, is fascinating right like and i don't know if you see that link i just sent you but the user interface is really slick and and coinbase has built it in such a way that like you could see what you're voting on and how it affects the value that you have staked like it's it's very it's it's, it's very slick and of course, Coinbase does this with all the government regulatory approval. Um, but there's a lot of people that aren't doing things like this without with government regulatory approval. They're just doing it because it needs to be done. It's very fascinating, and it shows you that like maybe just like that's what as time goes on, I feel like the greater crypto community back when this whole thing kind of began, like 2010 to 2013 ish. Um, we were wrong with some stuff and like scaling now when I see how Bitcoin and crypto is scaled it's not like the physical transaction per second but the actual disciplines that are you know working in this space and adding their flavor to like the amount of diversity and personality and character that has entered this space is <laughs> it's at scale like that thing is scaling fast that's something bitcoin can handle so um with that being said uh we should probably jump into the interview well all right did you have anything to say before we jump into the interview i have lots to say we can save it for the next episode all right well we're gonna come back but um, this interview is Alex Bosworth. For those of you that are unfamiliar with um, Alex Bosworth, he's one of the main engineers on the Lightning Network uh, infrastructure. Um, he does a Lightning Loop implementation, and he's the co-author with Brian Wu on that project. And, and Lightning Loop is seeking to address the liquidity issues with Lightning channels. Um, and he's also a CEO. So, um, you know, pay attention uh listen to what he says because he's probably right um no I'm kidding he manages a team of people that that uh, develop on the lightning network now so we wanted to bring him in for his expertise but also i loved his modesty when asked questions that you know had to have him speculate on the future he's he's that's the smartest people when they're asked to speculate say i don't know it is so frustrating because sometimes you just need that little speculation hit in the veins. You need a little, need a little hopium, or you need a little bit of a, I don't know. You need the adrenaline to flow. Yeah, you need it. And and the smartest people are always like, I know that I know nothing. <laughs> and it's like, come on, man, that shit out of here. Give us, give me some speculation, baby. All right. Anyways, uh, Alex Bosworth. Here it is. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Dr. Corey Petty with Dimitrik here for another interview. Today we have Alex Bosworth from Lightning Loop. Um, Alex, you wanna you you were here on episode I think 2000 and 
or 212. We're not into the 2000s yeah, no. yet. Not quite there yet. <laughs> um, but you talked about lightning and you actually alluded to a lot of what we're going to talk today. Um, you want to, I guess, for those who hadn't heard that episode, you want to give a quick introduction as to who you are, how you got started in the space, and uh, we're going to talk about Lightning Loop. Hi, sure. Um, I mean, thanks for having me on the podcast again. Um, I, um, my name's Alex Bosworth. I work at a company called Lightning Labs, um, and we develop um, a few different things. Uh, one is LND, which is like a lightning uh, node. And uh, I work on a product called Lightning Loop. Um, and what Lightning Loop is, is kind of like a way to go from Lightning uh, onto the regular blockchain and from the blockchain onto Lightning. Um, and that's something that uh, I worked on before I even joined Lightning Labs. And then uh, once I joined Lightning Labs, um, it became a product there. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. We're, st we're still working on it. And um, now that I am working on it, we've, we've shipped it to production, but I'm working on a new project uh, called the Hyperloop which is kind of like to take loop to the next level. Mm. I think so, I get, maybe, ahead, before we, before we start, I think it's interesting to like, maybe give like the simple bird's eye view of the framework of what lightning does. It opens a channel, a bi-directional channel between two people. And then you, and that channel is usually uh, like prepaid with a certain amount of money into it. And the problem there is that if you fill that channel, you can no longer receive payments. And that's where Lightning Loop steps in. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I mean, uh, Lightning Network is two things. Number one, it's a payment channel system. Payment channels are a way to make tons and tons and tons of payments without having to pay blockchain fees or tell everybody about your transactions. Um, but there's like limitations to what payment channels can do. Um, so uh, Lightning Network is the other thing of Lightning Network is that it's a network. So you're linked up with everybody in the world. Um, so like uh, a normal payment channel by itself would only be able to pay one person, but the network allows you to pay, you know, lots of people everywhere in the world. Um, but you're still uh, subject to the problem where you've commit some funds to your channel. So you've established this channel with like a hundred dollars. And, uh, after you spend down the hundred dollars, um, unless the money comes back over lightning, uh, like you're earning money. Um, you're going to have to do another on-chain transaction to add more money into the Lightning Network. Um, so Lightning Loop is a way to say, what if you could get uh, that money back um, in your channel? And then um, in order to uh, get the money back, you'd make an on-chain transaction. So it's kind of like a way to refill your channel. Um, and it also works the other way. Um, so sometimes people want their channels to be depleted. They want to have their channel spend down because they want to receive. And like was a merchant, also allows right? you to exactly like a merchant or even just people like, you know, playing around with lightning. They want to like send money to their friends. Mm -hmm. Um, when you make a normal channel in the lightning network, the funds start on your side and you're not able to receive. So, uh, lightning loop allows you to balance your channel so that you can say, I want my channel to be a 50, 50. So I can both send and receive. And then. Lightning Loop does it in a way that's non-custodial, so you don't have to trust our service. Um, we do a swap with you, and then the, the funds return back to you on the chain. Hmm. That seems so. How close is it to that vision that I guess people wanted? We're still kind of we had this unicorn in our head that you could pay for your coffee with Bitcoin. I hate yeah, that <laughs> analogy, well, but it is what it is, and I drink a lot of coffee. And I'd like to, I'd like to make that a reality. So to me, it seems like 
there's a lot of steps right there. Like it's not just like going to Starbucks and talking to Missy and her getting my name wrong. It's I could I gotta launch I gotta open a channel. I gotta you know what I mean? How how close is it to that to that vision? Yeah, I still say we're a ways away from like the end user part of the equation. So um, you know, people who are enthusiasts, I think, like for me, I bought my coffee today with lightning. It worked great. But of course, like I'm a lightning <laughs> developer. Um the, and I, I'm even a coffee merchant. I sell coffee in Palo Alto. Um, Did you buy your coffee for yourself? That doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. So the the um, the thing that I'm working on, which is the Lightning Loop project I'm working on, is it's more like an API that would allow a, a wallet developer to, to to make it part of like a seamless experience. So uh, the user wouldn't even really necessarily notice what was going on. So they would just be able to open their wallet, put in some funds, and, and start paying on the Lightning Network. I mean, that's kind of like the big vision, but nobody's exactly there yet. So the way I see it now, um, my, my, my naive approach to how you're doing this is um, me as a user, I have a bunch of channels with various people, and there are various amounts of funds in each of these channels. One of those channels is with the Lightning Loop uh, entity. And... Whether or not I want to refill, offload any of my other channels, I basically just interact with you in that way. Is that kind of how it's working? Like, how how, how is it non-custodial, and how is Lightning Loop allowing people to do this within the Lightning Network? Um, it's non-custodial uh, because it uses kind of the same contract format that uh, Lightning itself uses, uh, which is a thing called HPLC. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you create these. Uh, on-chain deposits. So you know you can have different types of deposits. You can deposit it to like a regular a regular public key type of uh, address. You can deposit it to a multi-sig address. So the um, the Lightning Loop is like a, a new a different type of address, which is like a HTLC address. And you deposit your funds in there, and you you can see like what the outcomes are of of putting your funds in that address. And it only has two outcomes. One is you wait a while and you get your money back. And the other outcome is the lightning payment is made. And the way that that's proven is based is like a, uh, a secret that corresponds to a hash is revealed. And if, if the lightning payment is made, then the swap completes in a non-custodial way. Hmm. Okay. That's for so funding. That's for refunding an account, right? It, it's, it's in both ways. Okay. So it just, it just uh, matters like who's paying the lightning payment. So if you're doing like a loop out, that's where you're going from off-chain to on-chain. Um, then you're paying off-chain, and then the, the loop server is paying on-chain. And loop in is the other way. Okay. So you guys are tied to Bitcoin. The Lightning Network is tied to Bitcoin. Even though I understand like there's some agnostic properties of it if, if people really worked hard. Um, yeah, and I mean, we support Litecoin already. And so there we go. Like it has the properties to, to work with other chains. However, like just from um, maybe a little bit outside of where the dev lane is, but from a branding standpoint, um, it's got to like, it's got to bow down. You know what I mean? It's got to bow down to Bitcoin at some point. Because <laughs> What's that mean? Going, what does that mean? What I'm saying, listen, listen, listen. What I'm saying is if I go into a gas station, I'm not going to say, hey, I don't want to pay with my lightning bits. I'm going to pay with Bitcoin, right? It's I need as an end user, I need to know that I'm spending Bitcoin. 
I don't want to think about having a separate thing that I'm paying with, right? And that's that's what I mean. It's got to eventually say, hey, Bitcoin, we helped support you get to a point where you can scale with transaction volume going at infinite. But at the end of the day, people want to be spending Bitcoin. They don't want to be spending Bitcoin lightning. That's even just hard rolling off the tongue. <laughs> well, I mean, it might not happen at all like that. Like when I go and pay with Apple Pay, that's actually using like NFC under the covers. But I'm not saying I want to pay with NFC. And if I go yeah, to Europe and I pay with dollars, I'm not saying I want to pay with US dollars, but like it just happens for me. I just like tap my phone and then boom, payment happens. So like, mm -hmm. hopefully that's what happens is you just don't have to think about it at all. You just keep your money in however you want and then you just pay and they get it however they want. Mm. That is the ultimate goal, I think, in all of this, is that I pay with whatever I want and they get whatever they want and it all happens automatically through whatever networks that are operating underneath. Yeah, I mean, that's how, that's kind of like part of the original like white paper vision of Lightning is that it's a cross um, currency, cross, you know, platform type of thing. And I mean, that's what Lightning Loop is as well. It's like, I mean, Lightning Loop is not actually part of the Lightning Network and it's not part of the on-chain. It's like its own kind of like little node there that does something special. So why did they bring you on in the first place? I mean, like they brought you on clearly because you know a lot about Lightning. Did they bring you on to do Lightning Loop or is that just somewhat of like a passion side project? Um, well, I mean, the Lightning Labs team has been growing. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing we really need to think about is like, how do we prioritize the building, the things that are going to like get us to our goals the fastest? And that's really what I work on at Lightning Labs. I'm not like... Uh, I've, I used to work in more of a development role and now I'm working more in like a project management role. Um, so like my job is to like think about, okay, how do we actually integrate this stuff and how do we like empower people to make like compelling services for lightning and how do we like help them do that? Um, I think that then, means you're doing a good job, by the way. Like I hear yeah. when people like go from developer to manager, they're doing a pretty good job of what they're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's a lot of... <laughs> It's a lot of fun to just like play with this new technology and there's so many different ways to go about it. Um, and uh, I really like working with like the developers like um, of the services who are like, you know, building these services like BitRefill, they're, you know, making a gift card market, um, you know, the Satoshi's Place guy, um, there's new exchanges coming online. Uh, you know, that's an exciting part of like what I'm working on. and. It's not just about like making like these services. It's also about like figuring out how to integrate them and like uh, make them in the right way that they're actually, you know, they're not just like cool things that could be cool. They're like actually part of what people use. Mm. As a manager, are you more Vin Diesel from Fast and the Furious or Alec Baldwin from Mission Impossible Fallout? <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> Who from from Fallout? <laughs> Alec Baldwin. Alec, Alec Baldwin from from Mission Impossible Fallout, the most recent movie in the documentary series on MI6. Oh yeah. Or, sorry. Um, and then the other option was Vin Diesel from Fast uh, and Furious. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I, yeah. I'd say Vin Diesel. You know, because I'm like a family guy. Like I'm, you know, it's all about the family. It matches the brand too. Fast Lightning. Furious lightning. So yeah, I figured you're there. Um, Corey, stop looking at me with that face of disgust. That's a pertinent <laughs> question to this interview. Okay. Um, so uh, why has all the grandiose left lightning? 
But what I mean by that is like when we were first pitched lightning, I've been in Bitcoin for a while now. I've got my gray hairs. I've lived through some number changes. Uh, when we first heard about lightning, all the way from Andreas to the Winklevi to the lowest low person commenting on new posts on Reddit, it was like, this is it. We found it. This is this is this is the thing. And now we get to take over the world. I mean, at a point, yeah, that seems kind of foolish. Um, and it does embellish the actual reality of the situation, but doesn't it take that kind of level of enthusiasm to reel people in, to understand, to even get to the point where they're ready to understand? So from your standpoint, where did the grandiose go? I think, you know, in crypto and I guess broadly, like people are like hype driven. They're like, oh, this sounds like it's going to fix everything. And they're more excited about like the, the idea than the actual reality that it's going to take years. It's going to take a bunch <laughs> of work to actually make it there. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not too surprised that like we're in a little bit of a hype trough. Um, once we get to maybe lightning version two, maybe like the excitement's going to build up again. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily matching like the adoption curve. It's like whatever the hype curve is, it's just like, what's going to generate clicks, what's going to get people excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of foolish to, to buy into the grandiose sometimes. Sometimes it feels good. So I think it, I think it was pretty warranted. I mean, it's like a it's a it's a grand vision. Like we're going to scale like like lightning isn't like, you know, let's just like double the size of the blocks. You know, let's 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 do two X better. Lightning <laughs> is like, what if we made Bitcoin transactions accessible to everybody in the entire world. Like the way I was pitched even when I was joining Lightning Labs is, what if we could make every transaction in the entire world that ever happens a Lightning transaction? Like now, there's there's an issue to that, right? Like I, that that's that is definitely the, the the vision and a possibility of like, okay, we've taken Bitcoin; it's a good storage of value. We're comfortable with the security model of it. Um, it's it's potentially capable of scaling to a much much larger market cap of like holding a lot of value. Lightning Network is the overlay network that sits on top of it that basically allows people to then say, all right, this is where I'm rooting a lot of my value. But what I'm actually doing is I'm saying like, I'm setting aside a portion of it to then use rapidly for various activities using the Lightning Network. So I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna offload some of the money I'm holding on the, on, the, on the underlying Bitcoin network into the Lightning Network and use that for like everyday activities. Now. In order for the Lightning Network to work, you need liquidity. You need people to actually do that and use it. How do you get people to do that? Well, we so we do have an incentive model, which is you know a, a fundamental component of the Lightning Network. You get paid for routing, and you get, and you know in theory you can get paid for even just committing your capital. That's just between you and another person. Like you could say, I want you to commit capital in my direction. I'll pay you this amount of money. Um, I think it's something that we're still like figuring out. Like some person just dropped $5 million on the network and said, you know what? I don't care. Like, don't pay me anything. In peace. <laughs> but eh, that's just whatever. Part of, like how the market evolves. Like yeah. people are going to, um, we're going to have to like see how it, how it happens. It's not something that I can, that I can say, here's exactly how the market is going to evolve. How do you see it? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you picture it? Like, what do you, what are your, what are your, you, you, I think, because you work so closely with it, you understand a lot of the complexities, details, and so on and so forth with like how this thing works and where it's potentially going. 
how do you see it moving on? Like, what, what do you, what do you see happening next? And kind of like, how does your intuition point you into like how lightning becomes massively adopted? Um, well, the liquidity market, yeah, is, is really driven by adoption. So, you know, if we are not having huge amounts of merchants, huge amounts of customers, um, then we're not going to see a lot of volume. So there's not going to be a lot of capital committed. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we just have regular merchants, so like if we just have people buying stuff like at stores, then the, the, the capacity of the network will also probably track like the US dollar price. Because why would I, if Bitcoin moons, why I can close some of my channels. They're not really needed to support the, the amount of like regular merchant traffic, which is usually in fiat. Um, I think the adoption barriers that we're, you know, that we need to kind of break through. Number one is like, we need to have super easy user wallets. I think, um, it's not so easy just to install something that's like super secure and super private that uh, you can just run without thinking about it. Um, we're still a little ways away from that. And the other thing I think we need to, um, do to like break through and in terms of adoption is we need to really nail down the security of lightning in a way where it's now um safe for usage between uh like exchanges so uh, a lot of the traffic that's on the blockchain right now and there's plenty of traffic on the blockchain like you know we've seen days which are twenty thousand dollars worth of you know transaction fees people are paying to move move funds from one exchange to another exchange um but we need lightning to be in a state where it's uh able to like take off some of that burden. And in order to do that, we need it to be secure. So um, in that vein, um, do you have any feelings towards the recent security audit that was uh, like, for like almost like formal verification audit of the specification of Lightning that recently happened? Um, there's a lot of like, I think there was a lot of good positive news towards the security model, at least the model, the specification, not implementation of Lightning that recently came out from, um, I forget the two developers from which university, but that, that was pretty good. Did you hear about that? Um, I did hear about it, but I didn't actually read it myself. I, I'll, it's not so surprising. You know, sometimes you have like academia who takes something that's already been like super well studied and then they make a paper out of it. Um, I think the lightning white paper has been around since 2015 or something. So like the concept the, at a high level, the concepts are, are pretty sound and pretty like well understood by everybody. It's not too complicated. Um, yeah. I mean, they but, did, they did formal uh, verification. Did like a, they did some, they did some real work on, on, on trying to prove the, uh, I guess, invariance that would be available for lightning to say like, you know, a person can't spend more than their channel and so on and so forth. And like for, formally prove a lot of these things so that you have much, much stronger security guarantees around, um, how the lightning network is supposed to work based on the specification. I was pretty, I was pretty impressed with this up until now. I was kind of, um, I guess a little more reluctant or worried that things would happen. We'd get a bunch of money locked into the lightning network and then someone would find a vulnerability. And when people come out with like real security audits and this stuff, it, it gives it a lot of, uh, like confidence in people using it, which helps with that user adoption, at least in, in from my perspective. Yeah, for sure. That's a huge part of it is like getting tons of people to study it. I mean, when I first got into Bitcoin, I was like, what if this thing has a bug and all of the money disappears? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the longer it goes on, the more people who study it, the more papers that come out. Um, you have a better, you know, understanding <laughs> of like, if I put my money into it, what does it mean? 
And we did actually have a security problem recently. Um, there was a vulnerability that's uh, across all of the implementations. So, you know, it's something that we need to really still be thinking about. Mm. So, I mean, on the note of um, just where you've been developing, you know, Lightning development isn't just housed at Lightning Labs. I mean, there's lots of, I mean, it's decentralized. Everybody can work on Lightning. Is there anything from another team that they're working on that has surprised you like in a good way? Like, wow, I didn't think to implement Lightning that way. That's kind of sexy. Um, it has to be sexy. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I like is um, this this guy um, Anton from Ukraine. He has like he's made a fork and made his own Lightning wallet. That's you know, is one of the first actually like super usable wallets. And he's kind of made you know, in conjunction with other players, like some extensions to the protocol that weren't part of like the original spec at all. And they still aren't part of the spec, but um, they're part of his wallet. And then he convinced some other wallets to include it, like. Um, he worked with uh, BitRefill, he worked with um, Blue Wallet, and uh, now Zap is um, working on some of these changes. And uh, the, these features are like, um, what if we could have a channel that would require no confirmations? So you would just like buy Bitcoin and you'd spend your Lightning instantly, no confirmations. And that's possible with something called Turbo Channels. That's not something that we like, we thought about um, because it does have certain trade-offs and, you know, makes us a little nervous about it, but, uh, he just went ahead and did it and, uh, BitRefill supports it and Zap Wallet is going to support it. Um, so I think, you know, people who are like out there, like trying to make that user experience really good, like they're really close to the people who are trying to use lightning. Um, I'm, I'm impressed with what they're working on. I like that idea. I just hope that in the process of getting it to the end user, they're, relaying the trade-offs right like it's, it's very easy to say you're working on the lightning network you have all these crazy security guarantees but it's actually some fork with extra things that you convince someone to use that doesn't actually have any of those underlying guarantees I, that worries me a bit I, so like i'm at one side i'm like yes innovate make it as usable as easy as possible for people to start using this type of stuff on the other hand i'm like well make sure they're well-informed of the process. How do you educate users? Do you need to educate users um, on like using this stuff? Like right now, certainly. In the end, like we kind of hope we don't have to do anything. Like you said, you just tap your phone and it works. But like for now, you pretty much have to like give someone like a short course on what the hell's going on before they can start saying, okay, I'll do this, I'll use it. And how do you, how do you, how do, you do that? I think we can't like tell people like, oh, this protocol is being used in a weird way. I think we have to be more like a high level. Like these are like good wallets and good wallets. We have the same problem with Bitcoin wallets. Like how do you know that this wallet is like legit? You got to um, tell people like this one has a reputation. Mm -hmm. um, this one has, uh, you know, a certain level of uh, auditing. There's a bunch of people involved with it. Reputable people use it. Um, I would say that what we can do for these like protocol extensions is, um, kind of like merge them into the main line. So I'd like to see, um, taking some of these ideas that people have like kind of hacked on top of the protocol and, 
trying to figure out how we can do them in a way that uh, clearly shows all of the trade-offs that they're making. And in some cases, you know, they did take wrong choices. Um, so we, and that's probably why they're not part of the spec is that like, it takes more time for us to like work out with everybody. Uh, what are the good, what's a good way to do it? And, and sometimes there's no easy, like easy answer to like, here's a good way to do it. Um, so um, I'm hoping that, that we can try to like merge more of these into like the mainline spec um, or make them make it so that you don't really need them. So like one example is they've, there's no way to push money at somebody in lightning. Uh, mm -hmm. You just can't do it. Like yeah. in, in Bitcoin, you can push money at people, and in Lightning, you can't. Um, so people made kind of like this their own unofficial version of the spec, which like allows you to push money at people, and it uses a, a system that you know involves like URLs and uh, TLS certificates, like SSL certs, and that's something we want to avoid. Like in the Bitcoin ecosystem and Lightning Lightning ecosystem, we want to like have our own crypto. Cryptosphere. We don't want to have to like register our cert with yeah. like name name can or something. Um, but it's something that really works for them, and, and they made it work. And you know their priority is like getting users to like use stuff. Um, and we have a solution that's coming up, but it's still in the process of standardizing, which is just to push payments to people. And we don't need anything. We don't need any TLS. We don't need any SSL. We can just push push payments to people. And the the only thing holding that back is just figuring out how to standardize that across all the implementations. Mm. So on a scale from like molehill to Mount Everest, how much work is left to be done with lightning in the next year? Just let's go, let's go, we'll go one year. <laughs> um, how much work is left to do with lightning? Uh, Under what context? I would say... Like, let them answer the question, Corey. Just let them answer the God, question. God, God, God. Let it marinate. Let <laughs> it marinate, man. Just... Sorry. I would say it's 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 not a huge it's not a huge mountain it's it's more like you know an Appalachian hill or something so I wouldn't say like it's um, it's Mount Everest uh, by no you know in the grand scheme of things like what we can do with Bitcoin and Lightning that's like Mount Everest like there's infinite things we could do but in the mm -hmm. in the context of like how do we get just how do we reach our like near term goal which is like let's get a wallet on the App Store that's non custodial that just works I think um within one year it's very possible and you know i've been working on the app for lightning labs about a year now and uh like in my estimation of the trajectory as long as we make good decisions as long as people stay engaged and there's lots of wallet teams working on this problem um i don't think we're we're far off from from this well you said you said it's the uh it's like an Appalachian Trail or Appalachian Hill. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hike the Appalachian Trail next weekend. So I expect this all to be done um, within a week. Because if I can do that, <laughs> you, can, you can do it. I believe in you. Well, it's definitely no molehill. We got a bunch of stuff to do. <laughs> and you know, it's it's not like we're you know the big company here. We're, it's not like we're Google making this. Like the yeah. the team at Blockstream is like three people. The team at Async is like five or six. And our team, you know, maybe ten people. So, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're, we're taking on a lot with not so many people. Yeah, that's very true. What's more beneficial to the new user? Getting, being introduced to Lightning first or Bitcoin first? Does it I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin's better for a new user um, just because it's, it's almost like a solved problem. Like it does what it says, you know? Like we've kind of figured out like what it can't do. We figured out what it can do. It's not changing too much. Like it's not too complicated. Uh, people and, and 
I'm talking about like the store of value use case. So like if you buy Bitcoin, you keep it in Coinbase, you put it in your wallet, like your Trezor or whatever, like it's going to do what you thought it was going to do. Whereas Lightning, like when you download the wallet, that's something that's going to be changing all the time. Like we're going to extend the protocol to like add push payments. And we're going to like maybe add subscription payments. So we're going to like change it up all the time. So uh, if you're just a noob who wants to like get your head around what Bitcoin is, I would just say, you know, Bitcoin is the starting place. It's a good answer. Good I, I agree with that. That's good advice. Well, Corey, do you have any more questions? I think I'm out of weird ass questions for the evening. Uh, is there something you wanted to say that we didn't ask you? Um, well, one thing I wanted to talk about is lightning loop um, in the context of the hyperloop. Yeah. So that's something that I'm working on that is potentially not even related to the lightning network. It's more related to the idea of making our existing chains, chain sense more efficient. So one thing we can do is we can, we can use the Lightning Network uh, payment channel protocol and say, what if we could take the existing chain sends that people are already doing? And those are costing a bunch of money, right? Like regularly, you'll try to send a transaction and the block will be full. And it'll be full because there's just so many people bidding on that space. So what if we could take um, the Lightning protocol, which is, which is a way to like make transactions way more efficient, and what if we could apply it directly to this chain sending? Like not, not try to get both sides onto Lightning, but just try to say you're doing chain sends and, you, and why don't we just make them more efficient? And Hyperloop is a way to do that like five times more efficiently. So you can take the existing chain sends that you're already doing, but you could just make them five times cheaper. Um, that's not something that we have working out of the box today, but that's something that uh, I'm pretty excited about because it's almost like increasing the size of the box five times. And I think that's something that can like really address the problem that we kind of see today, which is I try to send a transaction and it's going to cost me a dollar or something. So instead of costing me a dollar, it costs me 20 cents. So first time you came on, you talked about lightning loop. This time you've come on, you've done lightning loop or partially. Um, next time you come on, I hope that you've done this, but like why five? What's what's, 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 what's five? Yeah. Divided by 25. <laughs> well, so the, the, you got to get technical to realize why it's five. Perfect. So, we the, do it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, re the reason why it's five is like when you pay a transaction fee, what you're paying for is these bytes. You're paying for the bytes on the blockchain. And if you look at a normal transaction that you're making, you're paying for a lot of bytes. 80% of the bytes you're paying for are not related to what you care about. You care about only 20% of the bytes, which are specifying where you want to send the money to. 80% of the bytes are proving that you're allowed to spend that money and saying, oh, here's where it came from. Here's my signature. Here's my public key. And then you have to spend some more bytes, which is to say, now I need a change address to pay the money back to me. So with Hyperloop, you cut out 80% of those bytes and you just, you just keep the bytes that you care about, which is sending the money to where you want it to be sent to. Um, so. That's something that can happen with Hyperloop because in, on the on one side, it takes in lightning payments. So it's just spending down your payment channel. And on the other side, lightning loop service gathers up all of these different payments that people want to make into one mega transaction. And it's just using something that like exchanges already do, which is called batching, where it just uh, takes uh, 
high value inputs and then makes tons and tons of outputs from them. Um, and we can do this all in a way that where you don't have to trust the lightning loop service with anything. Mm. Uh, I, I hope that we can have it done within a year. Um, the, the, the real, the, the, the best savings that we will get, like, so in order to get to like that idealized five X savings, we really need the Schnorr taproot, mm. um, yeah. software that we don't, we don't hundred percent need it. We can, we can it do certainly it helps. It's one of those situations where but like, it would, it would make it. It would make things way easier. Yeah, it's like, you know, old companies trying to do Lightning Network type stuff without SegWit, right? It, you can kind of do it, but it, it's way easier with SegWit. Yeah, I mean, Lightning Labs worked on, you know, Lightning before SegWit yeah. was even a thing. So, uh, you know, there's like a million different directions we could go, but the straightest direction to, to the most savings is uh, with, Seg with Schnorr because Schnorr has this ability where it can fold up many signatures into one signature. So you could have a hundred people or a thousand people all signing off on a multi-sig, but on the chain, it will be represented as one signature. Um, and that's huge for, for savings through batching. Hmm. All right. It well, sounds maybe like we'll, it's like nested segregated witness, right? And that kind of like segregated witness, you only pay attention to like a piece of it. And then uh, with Hyperloop, it seems of. like this would be, you're only paying attention to it's about piece. it's more about it's more about using cryptography to minimize the amount of things that gets put into the blockchain. Okay. Yeah, so it's like SegWit scaling was more like let's just like cheat a little bit and give ourselves some extra bytes. And so like let's make the blocks two megabytes instead of one megabyte. But this is actually just removing that data. And you get two benefits with removing data. One is you pay less, and number two is your privacy increases. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have to like have you on hashing it out sometime in the near future to to, to really dive into kind of the intricacies of how that works and uh, and and also like maybe some of the trade offs that potentially are there. Are you familiar with hashing it out, Alex? Um, no. That's a show I do where I where I, I ask yeah, really I hard questions and and dive into them. <laughs> cool. That's our technical show because as you can tell. Um, that's not me. So, uh, <laughs> so, well, well, one last question in 10 words or less. Can you describe the lightning network? The lightning network is a way to pay from anyone to anyone in the world. You did it. You nailed it. There we go. These, these definitions are getting easier and easier for people, Corey, over the years. I think they're catching on to our, our shtick. It's a great sign. All right, man. Uh, Alex, that was awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I look forward to having you on in another year or so to talk about how uh, Hyperloop is killing it. Well, thanks for having me on. The time flew by. I love talking about this stuff. And yeah. um, thanks. Thanks again. Definitely. Ride the SEO on Hyperloop, by the way, because Elon Musk is leading the charge for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. And we're back. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Alex Bosworth. We hope that for some of you, it spurred you to go do a little bit of reading about the Lightning Network and maybe even spark up a Lightning Network node. If you want to do it fast but expensive, you can go to um, get a HODL node. Um, or you can spark up a BTC Pay server. I mean, you got options. Uh, but Lightning is there and it's scaling and it's tough, but it's going to get there. I know it will. I believe. It, so, 
we're going to talk about price. And I know we don't talk about price a lot because price is always there and it's always going up and it's always going down. It's like a running river. Why talk about it? You just know it's there. But the price did drop. We're not in the five digits anymore, Wayne. We dropped. I we're know. At 8,000. What are we at? 8,000. Uh, 79.94. 79.94. Ooh. That's coming from says. where? What? Uh, uh, what coin360 coin360.com coin360 let me see that 79 oh I'm, I'm peeking just at 8616 between bitfinex bitstamp kraken bitrex poloniex poloniex is at 7.8 wow so we well, I'm had... sure there's some people, uh, you know, so I think depending on how new the, the listener is, you know, they might not understand what goes into a price that, you know, you can't have a buyer without a seller. You can't have a seller without a buyer and uh, a liquid market. It's, it's not like you go to the mall and you're trying to buy a certain thing and the manufacturer has a suggested retail price. And then you're just haggling with the vendor to say how how can I how can I get this cheaper? Um, usually they have to cover their costs and they have uh, you know their cost of goods and they have all these other things. It's more like an open bazaar, where you know you have all these people, and you go say I want to buy something and you set any price for anything, and someone else can take it or not. When, when you have that kind of volatility and that kind of liquidity between two parties, the less liquidity you have, the more volatility you're subject to have. So if there's not a lot of people around, not a lot of things available to buy, your options become very limited. And when there's more liquidity, then there's a lot more options. So when something like this happens and you know the price drops, a lot of people just try to rush to find a reason, usually a single reason. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think that works very well with something as as volatile as a crypto asset. Yeah, it could be anything. Like that's that's one of the very first things that happens in our Slack. Is anybody know what's going on? Anybody know what's going on? I think it's just because they're trying to preserve their bags. But one in crypto, a thirty percent price drop is pretty par for the course. I hate to break it to you. That's uh if that doesn't happen a few times in the year, then uh you're not in crypto. You're in some other digital right. asset. Um <laughs> crypto those drops are like on a Tuesday. But um Yeah, exactly like Wayne said, don't don't clamor for a reason for the price to drop. Nobody knows. Only the people that know know. And if you're not one of them, then you can either keep dollar cost averaging or you can choose to sell at a loss. Those are your options, right? Right, and I think for, for me personally, the way I view it is I'm out in the ocean and there's whales and there's sharks. And I can't, if, you know, if I'm gonna play in the ocean, I gotta realize that they're there. So I can either swim along them and get the scraps and do what I can. As long as I can see the waves and I see how the winds are blowing and I see how you know the sharks move and the whales move I can't influence them but I can 
benefit myself the best possible as I swim along them. So if I recognize what they're doing, then I can potentially either protect myself or profit or, you know, take steps to improve my own position. Like you mentioned dollar cost averaging. That's one of the easiest things that's very safe or it's the safest, one of the safest options available. And it makes it so people don't have to try to choose an entry or choose an exit for acquiring some crypto. I think that works really well. In that conservative safe play is the reason why I am not a millionaire because I've made a lot of safe choices over my years being in crypto. Um, But it is also the same reason why I've been able to directly affect my own life in a very, very positive way because it's very patient. Dollar cost averaging is a very patient game, but uh, markets reward the patient. That's also why you're not on the street. You're not out on the street homeless. That's very true because I could be one of those. It's like, I had it all, baby. I had five million in Bitcoin and I didn't sell and now I got nothing and it's okay because I got this rock. No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't make fun of. I shouldn't do that. I apologize. Uh, somebody can uh, be going through it right now, but well, yeah. Or 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 they they're answering the the greed part of their desires more than their stability desires, and so maybe they had all that Bitcoin, yeah, some number, and they said, you know what, I'm going to trade that for this other thing that's probably going to hundred x, and I'm going to trade that for something else and they keep growing and then of course the market tanks and then they're ending you know they end themselves with you know near nothing and then now they're full of self-loathing because they made bad mistakes and that's that's, that's a real thing too that's why i'm not greedy wayne i never finished my popcorn at the movie theater i never finished my meals (laughs) at at the restaurants i put my fork down i slide it to the left you know i'm just not a greedy okay well finishing what you already bought is not greedy Taking someone else's something is probably greedy, but don't be wasteful. You just got different definitions. I I buy shares. (laughs) I buy buy share size Skittles, and I share those shits. I don't just eat them all myself. I I actually share them. Um, By the way, the new share size Eminem hazelnut flavor is is it's worth it. It's worth every penny. So you're the second. You're the second podcast I've heard talk about hazelnut M&Ms. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. This week. That's because they're taking the world by storm. It's little Nutella globs inside of an M&M coating. It's delicious. It's basically like a Reese's Pieces, but with Nutella on the inside instead of peanut butter. It's amazing. And then... This episode brought to you by Hazelnut. Yeah. And then... I'm in the one airports are beta testing for fatty foods. Actually, airports are beta testing for all types of foods. Like I had air dried chicken chips the other day. Like I'd I remember you talking it. about some sort of uh, cheese script, cheese, cheese, something that Corey gave you a hard time about. Yeah. Moon and that cheese. was in the airport, too. Moon, yeah. Moon cheese, the air dried. Just it's just cheese and it's been air dried with hot air. And it like it tastes like a cheese it, but it's just cheese, so it's like really healthy for you. So it's literally cheese it. Oh yeah, it's literally cheese it. Um, and so it's really good. And then I had air dried chicken chips, which is like chicken that I guess they do the same thing with, and those weren't good. Those tasted like if you put salt on cardboard and then tried to make yourself think it was good. (laughs) 
those are nasty. But then the one unhealthy thing that I had is that they have co- candy corn flavored M and M's now. That's about to hit the market. And okay, that I could t- go for. They tasted like candy corn. I was like, oh my god, this is so good. This is so good. Oh, we should market that. Bits wow. of corn, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Oh yeah, people people nowadays don't yeah. know about Bitcoin. Professor Bitcoin. Oh, that guy. I wonder where he is now and if he's happy being wrong. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about FedCoin. What are your thoughts on the possibilities of FedCoin? Central bank uh, cryptocurrencies? Specifically the U.S. The U.S. has a FedCoin coming out? I thought thought we already had USDC and Tether and all these other states. No, I, I, I... I wanted to ask you about, uh, I think I posted this in the Slack. Um, Bitcoin mm-hmm. is seen as a threat by central governments. Yes. Is that a, is that a decent given? Yes, absolutely. On a SWOT okay. analysis, they'd be in the th- Bitcoin being the threat column. Yes. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, my question is, how can they stop Bitcoin? And so a lot of Bitcoin maximalists and a lot of Bitcoin enthusiasts would say, oh, well, they can't stop Bitcoin. I mean, they can. There's many ways that they can. And so I try to figure out, okay, what what are the ways that they could? And it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be by a 51% attack. I don't think it's going to be by blocking the network ports. I don't think it's going to be by some of the things that could be seen as obvious that, okay, the government is cracking down on this. I think it's going to be something that's subtle, something that's a, a, a flanked side attack, not a head-on attack. You, you get what I'm saying so far? Yeah, yeah. So I would think that the government will offer a different option and quote-unquote better option for the consumers. So kind of like Libra, I think Libra potentially was the 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 test buoy flowing out, you know, flowing out there to see what the adoption would, you know, would be like. But this is this is where so I've I've concocted this potential scenario over the next three or four years. And I wanted to know what you thought about it. You ready? Mm-hmm. You got your beanie on? Okay. So so imagine US government launches a fed coin and it and it's a fork of bitcoin so let's just say it starts off with bitcoin and it's modified and the u.s requires taxes to be paid only with fed coin at some point they say you know in three years you have to pay your taxes in fed coin you know they just say we're not going to do that i don't know what the date will be maybe it'll be five years from now who knows but but imagine some whatever realistic date it would be for you and then now let's say FedCoin, they say when it launches, here's what it means. If you have any of the following cryptos, and let's say there's a list of 30 cryptos, then you'll get an airdrop of a certain ratio of FedCoin. So mm-hmm. there's the there's the lure for the existing hodlers, right? To say, you're gonna get this FedCoin just by owning Bitcoin, just by owning Ethereum, just by owning Litecoin. Imagine all the coins on Coinbase the things that have been kind of 
U.S. approved. And they say, you know, by three months from now or by a year from now, whatever you own of those coins will airdrop you a certain ratio of FedCoin. Mm-hmm. So this means all the early adopters, the people who have been, you know, touting Bitcoin and all these other things, we're going to test to see where their loyalties really are. If they just want to get rich or if they actually want the the underlying pieces because they already know as soon as FedCoin launches and everybody else has gone to it, their Bitcoin potentially could go way down in value. So we're going to, their, their metal is going to be tested. Now, let's say the government, so that's that's not a, in itself enough for someone to switch. So now let's say the government says, oh, and we're going to have a universal basic income tied to FedCoin. And every citizen every month gets X amount of FedCoin for certain services. And because it's digital, you can specify certain merchants you know, can take this a certain amount from each citizen, right? Because it'd be kind of like your public key for your social security number, that kind of thing. So you will be identified by your own. So now you have all these millions of people who want universal basic income. They don't care about crypto, but they see FedCoin as a way to make UBI happen. So let's say they sprinkle in a couple other incentives like that, where they say, oh, and we're going to do this. And, you know, we're going to, make sure that the, you know, inflation is gone, or, you know, they'll, they'll make up some other things. So, so what do you think about the government sanctioning cryptocurrency, but their own, and then they sprinkle in these little bait, this little lure. Yeah. It's almost like a quasi-prisoner's dilemma question, because you've got, or not prisoner's dilemma, but, um, you know, if you've got the, the guy interrogating two people, and... You know what's the likelihood that they rat on each other, kind of thing. Like, which oh, one's yeah. gonna choose the better option? Well, and split them up, and you tell the one that the other one already did. That yeah, changes yeah. Their, and yeah, it's kind of. But like it's just that. like ransomware. So ransomware. Uh, on the last episode, or one of the most recent episodes, I think you guys were talking about. Corey was talking about um, people, uh, your hardware wallets, right? Your last episode, you mm-hmm. you were talking about. Uh, uh, the guy that makes the mounts for the hardware wallet because they don't want them on the desk. And you, I think your, your example was, well, yeah, someone's going to come over. They might steal it just to make your life hard. But someone else also might try to just plug it into your computer, guess your password, and do stuff. Well, really, their easiest method of attack is to just stick a USB in your computer, install some key loggers, and then just wait a couple weeks till you spend something. Mm-hmm. Then they can get, you know, they can get lots of stuff. Oof. So that's when a crypto cloak really comes in handy because if somebody really knows what they're doing, they'll get you money. Right. And then um, the, the, the two prisoner thing that you were talking about, there, there's ransomware. And I'm sure, you, you know, that's one of the things that actually brought Bitcoin's price up was ransomware. And this is where it gets to be the same thing I'm talking about with Fedcoin. Imagine the ransomware... I don't know if you've experienced it, but I'm sure people have heard about what it does. You get ransomware in your box. You know, your your computer is effectively disabled or things are encrypted until you pay the ransom people, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if instead of having to pay them, it said, well, tell you what, you can pay us $1,000 or you can install ransomware on two friends' computers or 
or two other people's computers. And if they pay, you get your data back. Mm. So do you really trust the average American or the average citizen to not rat you out with ransomware to get their data back? I don't. I think it's the same thing. Right. Mm. Interesting. I think it's the same thing with with FedCoin. I mean, I might not trust the government enough to uh, get my Bitcoin airdrop to FedCoin. But of course, in order to get the airdrop, you have to share your address, right? So I now guess the only thing is, the like, w unless you're using a centralized and government-approved service, if you're like a lot of the old crypto heads, there's a lot of crypto and Bitcoin that they just don't know you have and they never will. If it's exactly. such a large amount, then you might transfer some in just to get the airdrop, but still maintain your Bitcoin like core position. You know what sure. I mean? So there's always it's that the same as with, well. Uh, it's the same with forks, right? Mm, yeah, because you transfer some to get the fork and then... Yeah. Right, because you can't get a fork. You can't uh, um, process your airdrop or a fork without disclosing your key. Yep. So that's why, like Andreas Antonopoulos, he was talking about, I haven't accepted any of the forks of Bitcoin because I'm not going to expose that address. Mm. Deep stuff. Well, what, what I think we can wrap up on that. That's a very interesting, you know, I hope that gets talked about in the Slack. There's, you know, what I've realized over the years, Wayne, is that like we've had so many opportunities to spark up great long-term discussions in Slack that stem from the shows, and we just never do. Like we should. Start well, they expire. To, yeah, that's true. But I think I think we can start to use Slack like a mini Reddit and just you know ask these questions with this episode and have people listen and then engage in the discussion around it. Like we've missed an opportunity there. Uh, when it comes to community building. But nevertheless, the opportunity that we have made or, or seized on is growing a great community, an active community, um, and a very homely community. Not homely, but like there's not a lot of people in there. So it's a very comfortable community at this point. Yeah. I hope yeah, that. You can uh, you can keep everybody in your mind. I, I, yeah. I forget the name of the term of the you know 100, 100 to 150 people you can actually know. Mm -hmm. um, there's a term for that, and I think the Slack is is definitely meeting that need. I hope that it stays like this. If it grows, though, we'll probably have to have some sort of like, I don't know, for the people that aren't grandfathered in, you pay a monthly fee or something. But it's not going to – I'm talking about outlandish growth. Like if there's like five-digit number of people in there and there's no way to moderate it and blah, 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 we might have to add some constraints to it. Not for the people that have been here the longest. Of course, they're free, but like new people. I would definitely like to see somewhere where you can have threaded discussions based on an episode. Now, that, that might not be in the Slack. That might be on the website. Or um, there's APIs that can, you know, uh, you could archive some of the things off the Slack onto it. So if you just tag it, you know, uh, TBP276, then it'll automatically add to the discussion on the website. And that way you'll be able to keep it. Because like to prep for today's episode, I went back and listened to episode, I think it was 83, where you guys in 2016 were talking about the Lightning Network. <laughs> and you had uh, roast beef on. And uh, so 
you know, one of the main developers of Lightning. Well, it's like, I'd love to see the discussions that happened at that time with the listeners at the time and maybe even add to it and say, hey, when you talked about that, remember when you forecasted blah, 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 this would happen and, oh, we'll never get to 10,000 nodes. Well, guess what? We're at 10,000 nodes now. And this is what's happened. I mean, that kind of look back would be very useful, but you can't do that in the Slack because of the yeah. expiration. Yeah, that's true. Uh, very true. We, we weren't going to partner with those youngsters from Harvard that were making that podcasting app that you could do stuff like that, but they kind of dropped off the planet. Yeah, so shame on you, Air Podcast Air <laughs> app. I don't know what happened to you guys, but we were in your <laughs> corner and you just like fucking ghosted like millennials do. But um, <laughs> th- like they've disappeared. Like I don't know. I haven't heard from them in a long well, it's, time. Uh, me, you, and Corey talk offline. I I do a lot of automation. I do a lot of coding with that. Yeah. Maybe we can just put you up something, something like yeah. that. Up. That'd be juicy, man. Just depends on what you need. Okay. Um, Wayne's going to be bringing a security pot. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to put you on the spotlight. I, I think we will. I think we will. It'll be. I think it'd be interesting. They think it's become a growing need in society as time goes on because people really have no clue. I I have clients. I have one client now that their business was hacked and they lost everything. And I was like, that could have been avoided. And then I have a client. Another one of my clients, their siblings' business was got ransomware, and then they paid the ransom, and they didn't get their data back. And I was like, all that could have been avoided from the front end if you had your practice as well. So it's it's um it's becoming a growing need in society of people that have a well, uh, people have a deep understanding of security, um, I guess points of failure in this internet age. And propagating that knowledge out to, to more people. So, yeah, anyways. you have to make it consumable and digestible and make it so that they care because I think Trace Mayer, one of the, you know, the greatest OGs in the space right now, um, he had an example where he had a friend who had all this Bitcoin and he only put a couple dollars worth of thought of security in it and he lost a ton. And so, and so it's like, you know, are you going to have a million dollars and not put a million dollars worth of security or effort or time into it? I don't think yeah. so. I mean, you, you'll do it, but you'll do it once. Well, yeah. it only takes once and then you get it. That's right. So, um, well, we'll wrap. Um, thank you for listening to another episode of the Bitcoin podcast, the flagship show of the Bitcoin podcast network. Uh, the network is running full head of steam. We had a dose of ether. We've had three just the headers for you to dig into. Um, back rapid fire the, the weeks that were basically missed um, but Jesse and I are back on track we had some schedule uh, incongruencies there um, hashing it out is up and running hashing it out is actually becoming a very popular show so we're excited about that Huh? sometimes I have to play them two or three times because it's so well packed with yeah. useful information that's new we're going to start a little mini campaign here after our rebrand. Um, maybe I shouldn't have just said that, but whatever. Nobody cares. Um, trying to get hashing it out on NPR. I think if any of our shows could, you know, hold the weight of being syndicated there, I think it'd be hashing it out. Um, Hi. So, so um, we have Dose of Ether now, which is going to be like 
E. Evan Van Ness, the man himself who writes a week in Ethereum, um, he uh, is coming back to the network and he wants to work with Lucian on Dose of Ether. And their very first episode dropped. So go ahead and take a listen to that. If you're not familiar with the week in Ethereum, if you'd like to know what's going on in Ethereum, then you're doing it wrong. You should be subscribed to a week in Ethereum. Um, so what's the Dose of Ether's uh, primary goal? What's its elevator pitch? The, the audio version of dose of Week in Ethereum. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, that, right. that's pretty much. But the, is it for is it for newbies, the people um, who just want to know about Ether, or is it for people who already know about Ether and they just want to add to their knowledge? I would say it's what's not your, for what's newbies. target audience. I would say it's, it's not, not for newbies. newbies. It's for okay. subscribers and enthusiasts of of Ethereum. If you are an Ether newbie, uh, maybe we can ask. I can lean on Lucian. To do an episode that just basically introduces the the the, the fundamentals, uh, the foundation level knowledge of why why you should be a ether fan. Um, but we know how the show. Bitcoin podcast you know the adoption is the only thing, right? That's your biggest thing. Yeah. So so most of the time, filling out more information to the people who've already adopted isn't going to get you your adoption goals. It's not. So but maybe ether may may have a different. Uh, base goal, right? I want on ramping to take off. Honestly, like I want, if someone paid me to on ramp the public, I would do that. I would, I would legitimately leave my career field to be paid handsomely. To <laughs> would would you would you take payment to onboard or on ramp Zoe Saldana? Of course, I would. You would. I, I thought you'd do it for free. Not anymore, Zoe. Zoe, oh. you you ran out of time where I do stuff for free for you. I understand my worth now. I'm taking you off the pedestal, Zoe. <laughs> okay, um, you know. My goodness, you know. I was going to get her to listen to this episode, but I have to wait till the next one. Yeah, you're no longer on the pedestal, Zoe, but you still are my main. Um, so that's it, guys. Um, please buy our book if you go to thebitcoinpodcast.com. We have a book in ten words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? Uh, blockchain or Ethereum. It's a fascinating book. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. Uh, if you go to store.thebitcoinpodcast.com, you can buy all kinds of merchandise. We have hats. We have shirts. We have pillows. We have beanbag chairs. We have fanny packs. We have magnets. We have stickers. We have shirts and shirts. We have lots of things. Uh, <laughs> you have shirts and shirts. Yeah, shirts We have shirts, shirts on top of shirts. And... Um, Please help us hit our $500 goal on Patreon. Why? Because with that $500 goal, we will be able to hire another producer. And the aim of having these producers is more regular good content like this show that you just listened to. Um, And we can start doing cool things outside of just the show. Um, But the problem is, is it's just me and Corey. um, And we only have so much time. So if we can hire people part-time to work on the show, we can offer you guys even more uh, creative, innovative, and all kinds of stuff. that The stuff that we've wanted to do over the years and we just haven't had time. So that's our first goal. Um, and plus you'll get to listen to this episode early if you're a $5 and above patron. Um, yeah, so yeah, this episode you listen to it early, it's because you're a patron. Uh, and you pay five or more. Um, if you are hearing it 
for free, then you're not a patron and you don't get those perks. So, all right, guys. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana, Zossie Beats. Um, play the outro.